You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, Primal Radio, we're back. What's up, Tommy? Uh, usual frustrations with Skype, but we're in. We've got our, got our guests. It's amazing Everything's going how- great. Every fucking time with Skype, it, it decides to shit the bed right before we're on the air, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But anyway, let's not focus on that because obviously to our fans, this is like a really slick production. Yeah. <laughs> By oh. the time I've edited it. You think they really think that? I don't think they think that. Man. Probably not. Very briefly, Scrap fighting this Saturday. Yeah. So what happened? Yeah. So Scrap was supposed to fight in Philly on Saturday. We fought on ESPN, um, what, a month ago. And his opponent dropped out yesterday. So we're trying to scramble to get another opponent. I have some footage of a guy, so I'm going to look at it today. We definitely want to fight, ready to go. But um, that happens, man. In, in, in professional, Even in professional fights, the guys will all of a sudden not be ready. So you do all this preparation, it still doesn't happen. You know? So I don't know. I'll hopefully know later today. Uh, he looks good, looks strong. He's ready to go. Yeah, we need to review what happened in the last fight coming up soon. But let, let's get on to our guest. Right. So this week's guest is, I guess, one of the established names of JKD in the world. But however, I think really is one of those practitioners who you can see can really do it. And therefore has just got a very much a growing following right around the world. Media savvy, very intelligent, articulate guy. I've done a load of research on him and quite a lot reminds me of my Sifu. So anyway, we'll, we'll go into that in more detail. So welcome to the show, Sifu Singh. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. And thank you to the listeners for having me. Um, I love your guys' show. In the last week and a half in prep for you guys, sat down and listened to about six hours of you guys while I was working out. So I enjoyed uh, every one of the episodes from like the Tim Tackett's to the Chris Kent's, the Jeremy Lynch's, the Dennis Blues, the Pitmaster. Uh, I enjoyed it. Then I just started having fun. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to work out and listen to these guys talk to guys about martial arts. So I, th- I think you're doing a wonderful job. Well, thank you so much. Just before we came on air, I spoke to... Master Wong, because I'm trying to schedule him in again for the weekend. He spoke really highly of you. And Lak Loy, my Sifu, who I think you've got a lot in common with, and I'll elaborate on that in a bit. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'd really like to work with him. And so, you know, you've got a lot of fans out there. Some of the guys, you might not even realize they're fans of yours, but, you know, it's a global reach. Well, your Sifu, Lak Loy, um, I haven't had a pleasure of meeting him yet, but we've, we've talked a little bit on Facebook and I think he's a wonderful man doing some awesome, fantastic things. And uh, Master Wong, I can't say enough good things about Master Wong. Met him in uh, Las Vegas and I think he's a wonderful person. He's on a great mission. He's got a lot of energy and you know what's cool about him? He's authentically him, which he knows how to honestly express right. himself, right? And Absolutely. Which is cool to see, you know? It is. That authenticity comes through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got an amazing life story. I mean, your story actually. So, so I listened to another podcast, do a bit of research yesterday. You've got a real interesting story. You were quite a successful guy in kind of Silicon Valley and being a businessman. You've moved to being a full time martial artist and really shaking things up in that world. What was it that left you unfulfilled about the business world? 
Okay, so I'm, I come from an Indian background, right? So in an Indian family, growing up, if you're not a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer, you're a loser. <laughs> so, <laughs> so true. So, so that's where it starts, right? So the, there, there's no question of uh, what do you want to do, what do you love to do, what's your passion? It's, uh, it's more from a survival-based mechanism, which comes from a good place. It's like, hey, what are you going to do to uh, create uh, income and take care of your family and set yourself up? I mean, my parents sacrificed quite a bit to immigrate from India to Canada, where I grew up in Toronto, uh, to give us this wonderful life uh, and a shot at something different. Their best wishes at heart are for us to thrive and not just survive. And so getting a good education and going down that route is is not uh, an accomplishment it's expected so expected, I, I did it's, so it's expected right and so no I did choice. my I did my degree in computer and electrical engineering from the University of California uh, the Davis campus and I hated it I didn't like it at all it was horrible like it was like I just forced myself to I could just do it right and so but I hated every minute of it and uh, but I knew okay you know I'm gonna get a great job in the Silicon Valley especially during the the end of 19 the 90s and the early 2000s the dot-com boom and and then uh, you know at that time you're a young kid you're superficially driven and you're driven by cars and houses and making millions of dollars and that's the only thing that kind of drives you show me the money all right show me the show money, me the money. It's, right. it's very superficial and very empty. That's, that, that's the path that I was headed down. And um, would, would fate they... came in intertwined. Just one thing. So would you mind taking that jacket off? Because I think what's happening is the mic's rubbing against the zip. And I might be wrong. How about now? Is that better? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering what that was. I was thinking, is Jim rustling some paper or something like that? I got you. No but problem. it wasn't, Tom. Just one point on that. So, uh, Lack is a Sikh guy, and as a Singh, you'd be a Sikh as well, right? Absolutely. But that that's the warrior religion. So, I guess it's slightly different, but you still had that professional pressure to be the doctor, the lawyer, the, you know, et cetera, yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it pushes you. And I, I, to be dead honest, my success or uh, ability to analyze martial arts comes from my engineering brain. So it was meant to be. So the, uh, the fact that I look at everything as a problem and look for logical sequences, look for proof, uh, look for uh, experimentation, look for the critical path, solving the problem um, and, and looking at everything as a building block is, is I think, how I approach martial arts. And uh, it's been a great blessing for me. There were certain events that happened uh, Absolutely. A culmination of, I mean, three particularly powerful things. Yes. Do you want to talk us through those things that, that sort of like pushed you towards this new path that you're on? Absolutely. Um, first off, if I start back when I was um, 13 years old, and I, was, I started karate when I was uh, six years old. So I was, my, my dad was a merchant marine, so he was a sea captain. And he would travel quite a bit while we were growing up in, in Canada. And he wanted me to be able to um, defend myself. The two earliest memories I have from when I was three and four years old over my crib on one of his trips to Hong Kong, he brought back two posters. One was a poster of Muhammad Ali and one was a poster of Bruce Lee. And they kind of hung, not like this, but they kind of hung like that over my crib. And those are the earliest memories I remember. So I guess it's pretty serendipitous as to what, what uh, I ended up doing. But uh, my dad wanted me to be able to defend myself and protect myself, especially being an immigrant at that time. 
in Canada and my mom being alone and I had two younger brothers. So I started in karate. But when I was about 13 years old, I, I lost my hair to alopecia. So I lost all my hair. And you can imagine you're going into your, your uh, freshman year of high school and all of a sudden your hair starts to fall out. And, and you know, the rock wasn't around then because you didn't have any like light skinned bald dudes to look at. And be like, Oh, that guy's kind of cool. Right. So you didn't have that uh, role model. So I went with good old Yul Brenner for the Magnificent Seven. He <laughs> was the only guy around, you know. <laughs> all at the time. Young, you know what I mean? Some of the younger guys may not know who he is, but Yul Brenner was a pretty big gangster, I think. But the martial arts there helped me. I used to like do my breathing in focus and focus and it gave me my sensei, gave me a support system, gave me a way that I'm a warrior, that I can take anything and I can move forward, that I can refocus my mind. I can put my energy into other things and overcome discomfort. So this started at an early age, but really things changed for me in the summer of 2001. Now, up until this point, of course, like every other kid, I've been in street fights here and there. We were all getting fights, you know, uh, but this uh, event totally changed my, my life. Uh, it's 2001. There's a big bonfire and a barbecue end of year kind of celebration about to happen. The quarter's about to close out. And a lot of us are very thankful that somehow we passed our exams. And we're like, okay, let's go celebrate a little bit and uh, before the final projects are due. And so a bunch of people organized a trip to Ocean Beach. Uh, so I went to the University of California, Davis, which is an hour and a half from San Francisco. Ocean Beach is in San Francisco, but it's on the furthest end of San Francisco. And, and it's a place that I'd never been. A lot of the people that I was with had never been. They didn't know the area, the terrain. And uh, we were the last two cars to arrive. So you picture the scene, there's a parking lot, and then you have to walk down some stairs, and then there's a beach, and then there's the ocean. So the parking lot's kind of separated uh, from the rest of the ocean, and there's a big hill you drive down to come down. So we were the last two cars that arrived, and what's the first thing you do uh, in college when you're about to celebrate? You pull up, and you, what are you going to do? You're going to crack open a couple of beers, and you're going to celebrate a little bit and start having a little bit of fun. Talk about no situational awareness and walk around in code white out of the darkness. Literally a group of 25 local gangsters that was their turf just appeared out of the darkness and nobody noticed them until they were about 10 wow. feet. You're right. We didn't notice them at all. And then you see them coming up and they were apparently looking for somebody. And what ended up happening, they were so tactical in their approach. One of the guys was looking, uh, the guy to the right of me, there was two cars, one car here, one car here, and there was about eight of us. And the guy to my right was smoking a cigarette. And the guy that was kind of uh, leading the group walked up and he just nicely diverted the attention to my right where the guy was smoking a cigarette. To my left was my roommate. And my roommate has very dark skin complexion. He was wearing a baseball hat. And I think they thought he was the guy they were looking for. So as they asked this guy for a cigarette and our attention went there, boom, the fight broke out. It was just instant. Wow. They grabbed him, took him to the center. And then this is not like a street fight. I mean, this was like a formation battle fighting. They, they took him to the center. They formed a perimeter. And at the same time, there's this guy that had been walking with them. The first guy who took a swing at me, he had his shirt open. He had his tattoos down the center. And he had straddled a two by four like that. And you, you could tell you had just taken it off the fence because the two nails were still sticking off. So if you could picture, I have my right. arms around it like that and it's sticking off the sides. I'm like, what, this is like out of a movie? But there was no time to react. He then swung that board at me. As he went to swing the board, I did an upper block coming from karate. 
And God. I still have a, a bone chip here at that time. No kidding. Right? I did an upper block. It stopped what? the shot. Sure. But, then my, but my arm went, right? <laughs> Better than your head. Better than my head. Then I, I cracked him one. And then that was it. That was the only shot I got in. Then, then, then the most interesting thing happened. In that next moment was my first experience of time completely being distorted and slowing down. Everything went, it was like the most peaceful moment I've ever experienced at the same time, the most scary and freaky moment I've experienced. But the idea of what ended up happening was there was that moment where you had to make the decision of fight or flight. And that was my roommate, my brother getting beat. And I had no idea what to do. This is, this was crazy. I had no idea. I didn't know what to do. So you got to make the decision to run or to stay. And some guys ran and you can't blame them. And uh, I said, I'm going to stay. But I didn't know what to do. So all of a sudden, they start chasing me. They've pulled him into the corner. They're beating on him. There's a perimeter. And now guys are chasing me. And I'm running around cars. And this fight does not look like a fight like in the movies where they all circle you and they come one at a time. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah. what happens. And ah. they're just rushing you. And, and it looks like a rugby game. I'm just running. So I'm just running here. People are swinging at me and they're hitting me and I'm running. I'm not doing anything heroic, but just running around and being chased around by a bunch of guys and running in and out of cars. And this goes on for a couple of minutes. Suddenly what ends up happening is the two guys that they were looking for happened to certain like divine intervention walk by. And then as they're walking by, like, I just hear them uh, change their attention and say, they're over there, eh? That's all I heard. And then all of a sudden, they forgot about us and just swarmed those two. Wow. I just swarmed those two. In that moment, I grabbed my buddy, dragged him down to the beach. I'd been hit. I'm bleeding. You know, my hands messed up, but the adrenaline's pumping and rushing. And you're like, let me, you know, somehow I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a license plate or something. I don't know. And so I come back. I come back up. And as I come back up, by this time, somebody's already called the police. And they're up the hill about two miles away. And you can see the lights flashing. And these guys are all now jumping in their cars. And there's, as they're jumping in their cars, I still remember this the most vivid moment. It was a white Escalade. The passenger side, the driver's side, I look there and I'm trying to make out the, the license plate, but I can't. I'm about maybe 20, 30 feet away. And then I see the door open. As the door opens, a guy steps out. He's wearing a gray jumpsuit. And I see him lift his shirt up and his hand goes like that. And I just turn and I run. And I, and I tell you, I was the fastest man on earth in that moment. I felt the wind and I was gone. I heard two shots. I don't know if they were in my direction. I don't know if they were at me. I heard two shots and I was gone. The two guys, I remember that they, that they weren't moving when they left in the ambulance later. You know, we walked away with some cuts and some bruises and my, my buddy recovered as well. He just covered up in like a fetal position and took a lot of shots, but we ended up being okay. And so that moment changed everything in my life from two perspectives. Number one, I experienced this amazing stillness and chaos, this moment of like everything slowing down and everybody just, yeah, they were, there was, and the fear was gone. Everything was gone. And I just didn't know what to do. I just had no clue what to do in this situation. Um, And at the same time, you had an opportunity to understand what you don't know. So growing up in a dojo or having a fight here and there with some guy, that's not a real like chaotic life and death kind of a situation is where, you know, two guys walk in, two guys walk away. This was one of those things where it could have gone really bad. And it's, it's a divine intervention that saved us. But after that moment, I was filled with so much anger. 
I was filled with so much of rage and I felt like less than a man. And I was like, fuck, I'm supposed to be this, this karate man. I'm supposed to be this fighter. I'm supposed to be able to protect everybody. And my ego was just bruised and battered and destroyed. And I felt so shameful. And I vowed to myself that that would never, ever happen to me again. So out of anger, I said to myself, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, uh, I'm, I'm gonna to go learn from the baddest people on the planet. And I'm, this is never going to happen to me again. And I would run these scenarios through my head. And like, I'm going to get my revenge and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so that led me into Jeet Kune Do, And that led me also at the same time. Now, this is going to be funny. So don't laugh at me. And the listeners listening, I'm being truthfully honest. I said to myself, I want to learn how to touch people and kill them. I want to learn the death <laughs> touch. Right? The so death touch, sure. I want to learn the death touch, okay? I don't know if it exists or not, but I want to learn the death touch. So I'm an engineer, so what do I do? I go out and buy every book on the subject, and I start reading it, and I see Chinese meridians and acupuncture points and all this stuff. And then I say to myself, who the hell is actually going to teach me this thing? If I go to somebody and ask them, they're going to laugh at me. So I said, okay, I'm going to enroll in medical Qigong, this four-year program, and I'll reverse engineer it. I'll trick them. I'll learn their things and I'll learn how to do it. It sounds like you, you were open to the idea of unlimited possibilities there by saying that. You could argue someone thinking that would be a fantasist. Maybe. But the fact is you're saying, look, I want to find the most lethal thing I can find, right? I think, I think part of it was fantasy too. I just didn't know any better, right? So, so I'm, I'm looking. It was anger. So with anger, you're like, I just want to learn. Basically, I want to learn how to kill people as fast as possible. That's where my head was at. That's, that's what, where I was going. And, you know, that's where the unbalanced emotions of anger and then rage. And then they, you don't know what to do with that energy. And so then you want to put it out towards everybody else. And you start seeing the world in a different way. Uh, when trauma is created that way, lo and behold, what, there's a chapter in my book. It's called From the Death Touch to the Healing Hand. As I started to do the work with my Sifu and I started to do the training, I started to process my emotions. I started to forgive. I started to let go. And then I eventually get to the point where it's a blessing that those things and those guys were the greatest thing that ever happened to me because that started to make me ask the question, who am I? What do I want to do? Why am I here? And none of that stuff would have happened. We wouldn't be here having this conversation if they right. didn't. Right? A pivotal point in your life that That's sent pivotal you Right. They were they were blessing, you know. <laughs> it's a bit like that one Jackman moment for Bruce Lee, where he's like realized the stuff he did didn't work for you. I mean, you did manage to do this roof block, but you know, after that, it was absolutely so. You know, and then I was like, all right, who's the baddest people on the planet? They're the Navy SEALs. All right, who taught them? Okay, let's start looking up their instructors. And so then I, you know, Paul Vunak was my first, uh, you know, real instructor that I spent a decade with. And I said, okay, let me find the baddest guy that I could find that does this. And so I went that way. But at the same time, I started to go down the internal way of meditation and, and healing and uh, the emotional psychology behind things. So there was like a, this dark and light kind of side of like, okay, this is how I'm going to terminate somebody. And then this is how I'm going to manifest my health and healing. And, <laughs> and uh, eventually uh, it balanced out. There was two other elements, the car crash and 9-11 as well, right? Yeah. So, so then, you know, like I said, when I say like they say the fate is like a wave. Uh, wave comes in sets. So one comes, then another one comes, then another one comes. So later that summer, that event happened in June. 
in um, August of that year, I was doing a summer internship that summer at Franklin Templeton Investments. And that was in San Mateo, just outside of San Francisco. Uh, they had their uh, offices on the 92nd floor of the World Trade Center building, Tower Number 2. And as an indentured servant that summer, my reward was to go to uh, New York City and they'd pay all expenses paid. And I was going to be there for that last week uh, or that weekend during 9-11, stay in Manhattan. So for a college kid, oh, I get my airfare. They're going to take care of you. You, you, know, you think you're balling at that time. So that's what right. you're looking forward to all summer. Then on August 13th, I'm driving again in San Francisco, and a cab driver runs a red light. He runs a red light and smashes into my car. I'm driving a 1994 Honda Civic, slammed to the ground, right? One of those, one of those, those rockets, and, and once it slams into it, and the car goes about 20 feet. The windows, if the, the center console where my music faceplate was, I couldn't even take it out. If somebody was in the passenger seat, they wouldn't have made it. Luckily, my head went this way and the window was down. So my head went that way and it didn't go through the window. And then I, I tore all the muscles in my abdominal column and my L3 and L4 vertebrae got severely damaged from that impact. And because that impact happened, I missed the trip to uh, New York City on that tragic day on 9-11. And I was, I was supposed to be on the World Trade Center floor up in our building at 8 a.m. because I was part of the NASDAQ feed. I was in the technical department, the NASDAQ feed. So we had to be there. And unfortunately, we lost 140 uh, wonderful people. And it's a very terrible thing that happened. But once again, that event, plus the car accident, plus 9-11, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, there's got to be more to life than cars and uh, stock options and make your money. And then that's how the path started. So for the next five, six years, I continued to work. I had a great job. But what, I, what it afforded me was the ability to train as much as possible, travel and train. And I would do that every weekend and amass as much knowledge as possible. And then my greatest supporter, my wife, who believed in me before I ever did or could see it, said, hey, you know, when you do this, you're you. When you do this other stuff, you're, it's not you. It's just, you know, a job that you should pursue this. And not many wives would like tell you to turn down a six-figure salary and go pursue be a martial artist. Most people are like, what, what, are, you, what are you, a personal trainer, you know, this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. You hear from everybody. And I wouldn't have met my wife either. If those guys hadn't jumped me, because when they jumped me, they smashed my arm. I had a giant program that was due that I couldn't type. And that class wasn't available till the following spring quarter of the next year. And that's when I went and met my wife. So Amazing. it's a wonderful tragedy. <laughs> it's, it's great to be able to go back and connect those dots and go, boy, if I didn't do this at this exact time, this <laughs> shit wouldn't have happened. Right. Absolutely. Right. It's a pretty fascinating. It, one of the most romantic quotes that I knew, like, this does, this really isn't me talking. What the fuck <laughs> You know, in the film Jerry Maguire, and she says about Jerry, she's like, I believe in the man he wants to be and the man he almost is about him. And I thought, and that is the support of a woman. You know, a good woman can like push you onto higher ground. That's it. Or she That's can it. kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or she can take half your yes. staff and get divorced. <laughs> yes. Hey. So it could go either way, man. And I've seen way. Who the fuck knows? I'm with <laughs> you, brother. It could go either way. And, 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 and you see it happen, right? Like, I mean, as teachers, I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of students of yours that just were like doing so well. And then all of a sudden, 
they met somebody and then you're they're just gone. You're like, oh, I'll never see no. them again. And then um, they're back a couple months later because their love of their life didn't work out. <laughs> Please, <laughs> okay. Take they're me like, back. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. You mentioned Paul Vunak from the JKD world, and then I'm aware that you've trained systems such as Savat, boxing, wrestling, BJJ, Carly, Sarada, Scream, you're big into. Who are the big influences on you and like talk us through like what you've taken from those systems? I imagine you approach it with a JKD mindset of like what works for you personally and trying to take what works versus what doesn't. Absolutely. Uh, you know, in the JKD world, you know, other great influences for me. I had opportunities to train privately with Sifu Larry Hartzell and then Sifu Richard Bastillo. I've attended seminars with Guru Dan and stuff like that. But I think the most important thing for me was always... I wanted to learn the process, right? So I wanted to go through the process and not arrive at a result. And so I wanted, it's an engineering mind. It's interesting when you do engineering, they first teach you to program with zeros and ones, and then they get you into the high level programming that we see today, the C or whatever, maybe the Java that you're working on. But so you get the concept and I wanted to really understand it. And so I really put myself into Wing Chun and I said, oh, with an open mind, I'm going to go in here and I want to just absorb the art. And I, and I enjoyed it. So I continued with it. So I think a big part of it is having fun. I love martial arts and I, I love learning. And I think that as long as I'm learning and I'm growing, I'm getting better. That's the most important thing. But at the same time, I don't want to be bound by a martial art, a lineage, a system or a style. Right. So th- there's that thing there where you can show your respect and learn it because you love it and like it, but then don't be bound by the lineage or bound by a style or a sifu or a teaching or a particular method. That's the JKD philosophy that I always had with it. So that allowed me to really uh, get into the art, but not be bound by it and see what I was seeking. So with the Wing Chun, I, I had a great opportunity to find Sifu Bender. Uh, Sifu Bender, a really interesting story. He grew up with Bruce Lee. They went to the same high school and they were training under Ip Man together at the exact same time. Oh, and good. so they, and they were friends. They used to have the cha-cha parties together. Ah. So, they, so, so, so they were friends at that time. So he knew him really well. Uh, and they both actually migrated to the United States within like a, like a few weeks of each other. Sifu Ben says... Bruce Lee left first because he went on the boat, but he arrived first because he came on a plane. And so <laughs> they, they, they have that thing. And then he continued his teachings or his training under Liangsheng, who was Ip Man's first disciple. And so we, you know, I learned that lineage. And then um, obviously I've mentioned the Taiji, which sure. I got into from Bulldog and wanting to learn the death touch. But the Taiji <laughs> was important too because it taught me how to relax and taught me how to quiet the mind and find the softness and and it's really interesting when you learn to go slow and turn the muscles off how that makes your 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 your, your eye jab a lot faster and so you know again it gave me an avenue wow, that's to work pretty important I, that slowing down absolutely i i right i'm beating that in people's heads to slow down and just do it enjoy it feel every moment every inch every intricacy of that move instead of trying to go as hard as fast as you can right out yeah. of the shoot that's so important I'm glad you said it. So Spoken like a true teacher, you know, because then then you learn each of the pieces involved. Like a jab is so simple, but is it simple? There's so much, right? There's you could spend a lifetime perfecting a jab. Right. And and that's where sometimes I I I see people doing 
and learning and memorizing thousands of techniques, but not simply simplifying and understanding that right. the person that brings the power to the technique is themselves and discovering themselves through the technique and discovering the technique through themselves. That installation process is a very personal process that takes a lot of time. And, and it's wonderful. It's, it's a beautiful it thing is. when you discover a little thing. Oh, man, maybe I relax my shoulder here. I dip over here. I move my head this way over here. Oh, I snap at this point. I follow through over here. I use a hard one here. I faint over here. When do we use it? How do you apply it? It's a cool puzzle. I think it, it's it a, is. super fun. It is. Uh, I was just the other day in class talking to someone, and I have a couple real good boxers, more than a couple, but and I said he's been doing the jab for you know, 30 years, you'd think he'd have it done by now. But yet when he comes into the gym and we're going to train, you know, we're doing the jab first yes, off. Sir. So when you tell me it's Tim Tackett, I'll say, you don't have it. You just recognize it. <laughs> right. You're so right. There's so many different parts to keep bringing that apart. It can, it can be done forever. You can yeah. always improve it. You know? and, and I mean, it's, think about it. It's the most important distance keeping tool that you have. It's the fastest tool that's there. And oftentimes people just want to learn the next combination or many combinations. And it's almost like, well, let's just get good at hitting the guy first. And then when you hit him, it'll open and create an opening. And then you follow up with the combination instead of just memorizing millions of combinations and not being able to even hit him with a jab. It, it doesn't make much sense to me. When you were devising your syllabus, how do you avoid, when you've trained so many things, how do you avoid not making a, a whopping massive syllabus that has never-ending amounts of stuff in it? How do you kind of keep that simple, given you've changed so many styles? I think the most important thing, I teach Jeet Kune Do. So I don't teach Wing Chun. I, I don't teach Tai Chi. I mean, there's some older people I teach Tai Chi to. And some of my senior students who already know how to fight, I'll teach them Tai Chi. We get into a little bit more intricacies of some of the Wing Chun and stuff like that. But the, my first and foremost, most important thing is to teach you how to fight. And so you have to understand and have a few moves down in the various different ranges and understand the philosophy behind attacking and counterattacking, the timing, angle, and distance. So I'd rather you be really good with the jab and understand its timing, how to work your angles, how to control your distance, how to create openings, how to use the five ways of attack how to use the before, during, after timing. I'd rather you understand that with a jab than giving you tons of combinations. And then the next thing is if you're starting out, you gotta, we got to be as JKD guys, masters of what I call the four circles, right, or the four balls, these two and these two. You, you master hitting those dies in the groin. That's what we have to master, right? And how, how many different ways can you do it? I guess how many different styles can you do it? And so you got to learn that. And so I think that even before learning how to throw a, a cross or something, like that, let's get proficient at, at, at hitting the eyes and hitting the groin. Then that's, that's the speed part of, of the soft targets. But then you got to develop power. You got to be able to hit somebody and smash through them. So that, then you got to develop power. You got to have your footwork and mobility. Um, and then you got to be able to also. Most important, be able to stay calm, cool, and collected under pressure. What's your breathing like? What's your perception like? Are you up in your mind thinking and freaking out when stress and pressure is coming? Or can you teach yourself to relax? So for me, it's more about developing attributes and strategies first and then adding 
systematically adding more, you know, techniques. Once they have it, then let's add some more. Once they have it, let's add some more. Let's get a little bit more advanced. And what's really getting more advanced is practicing the basics with more detail and seeing, okay, how do we follow up on it? With the weapon stuff, I think uh, the, the Kali and the Serata systems of learn are very important because we all should know how to fight with a weapon. These days, most street fights will involve some kind of weapon, but we could sit there and learn all sorts of fancy patterns or just get proficient at smashing the hand and using it once again, footwork, angling, timing, distance, so that it transfers over to your uh, empty hands. I mean, we put our power side forward and we fence with the lead hand. And so if you put a knife in the hand, it gives you an opportunity to train and educate the lead hand. When you put stick in the hand, it's the same kind of thing, educates that idea. And then when it's moving really fast, you, you develop your reflexes and your sense of timing. So the first thing I start people off with actually is knife sparring so that they get athletic, get to move, get to hit the hand, and they start to learn footwork that way. And then from there, we work into, you know, start adding a build G, start adding a shuffle kick to the groin, then start adding the, the obstruction, the G-Tech. So you start giving them timing, give them a few destructions. And then start having them implement that. Then we get into uh, the clinch range, right? So I go to clinch range first because before you want to learn how to trap, you better understand somebody's going to grab you. So you better understand how to control their neck and control the, the body pummel and stop the takedown. And then if you get taken to the ground, how are you going to pull guard and hold them in? So the idea is to make them be able to transition through the ranges uh, and give them the most uh, important scenarios that they would be caught in first. Right. Uh, and, and build their attributes in those scenarios. And, and then we, we grow. And as we grow, we add more and we add more. And that's kind of, that's kind of the idea of it all. It's not like we're going to do knife and now here's the whole system for knife. Let's go do over here and stick and do a whole system here. And let's do the trapping and let's do the whole system by itself. I don't think that's Jeet Kune Do. That's doing no. different arts. And let's do kickboxing over here. The concept should be, all right, we got a knife. Now we're knife sparring. Okay, now drop the knife. Now kickbox. Okay, now enter. Once you enter, now clinch. Stop the takedown. Get back up. Intercept. Come back. Fight multiple opponents. Get taken to the ground. Get back up. Is your breathing okay? Did you lose track of time and space? Did you get into your mind? Are you start freaking out? Are you breathing? Are you out of breath? I think that's the if we, if we train with that kind of perspective, A, it's a lot of fun. No round will ever repeat itself. And um, we get a chance to get uh, and develop adaptability um, and connectivity, connecting to the partner, uh, connecting to yourself and the partner and being able to adapt to situations. I mean, truly, the saying of everybody knows it's on my T-shirts, be water, my friend. But the thing that everybody forgets of that statement is empty your mind, be formless, shapeless like water. So what about emptying the mind? There, You can't be like water if you haven't emptied the mind. If you've got a thought, an idea of what right. you're going to do, how you're going to do it, you can't really be uh, like water. Uh, not at all. <laughs> no. So when you're looking at a technique, when you're training whatever, you, you'd let it kind of go live, allow the students to kind of try to figure out, problem solve that. Or when you're looking at something, go, let's take this and completely dissect this and see where it takes it. I imagine you have some kind of process you go by doing that. Absolutely. And so when you're installing a technique, you have to have the four F's, I call them. Okay, five, really. So there's first you have to have faith. So it means you got to have faith in your teacher. You got to have faith in the teaching and you got to have faith in yourself and the partner. It means that what you're working on is going to get you to something that's going to work. You're not just working on levitation or some shit, you know, so <laughs> that you got to have faith before because then you can put your all into it. 
then you got to work form. So, okay, what, where does this start? Where does this end? Where's the mechanics? What's your relationship to the ground? What's the form? How am I? And that's the form. There's each individual piece. Where's my hand? Where's my chin? Where's my foot? And then you got to drill the form. Then from drilling the form, we got to get into flow. So flow is a state where we have to have form and then some freedom. So form and some freedom. So like 70, 30. So maybe an example of flow is, is okay, let's say we're going to do some sparring. And in the sparring, um, we do uh, jab only sparring. Let's say we say jab only sparring. And in the jab only sparring, I'm trying to hit you 70% of the time and 30% of the time I'm feeding you so you could find the motion to come in. So the, there's, there's that. Or, or the flip side. You're flowing 30% of the time, and then you're, you're trying to nail the guy with the jab 70% of the time. And so you find a flow to start to install it. So you start to install the timing, the angle, and the distance. And then finally, from there, we get it to a state of formlessness. And the formlessness is, well, where it's got to hit by itself. And so if we don't have that process of dissecting, breaking it down, having the faith, installing the actual technique, doing it thousands and thousands and thousands of times because you can't do it enough. There's no such thing as arriving at a perfect technique because perfection doesn't exist. You can always find a a better way to do something or a better way to express yourself. Uh, I think that's really important. And then when we start to train the technique in the flow area, we play games. I call them combat chess games. And so the idea is to play games. Um, I studied some chess masters and I noticed that the best chess masters would play on a chessboard. They would play with a king and a pawn versus a king and a pawn mm-hmm. so that they would learn the board and not just be uh, overcome by technique. So if we start with just jab and a jab, And then I say, I'm going to attack with the five ways. You counter me at the five times with a jab. Now we start to work all the other pieces around the jab and our mind starts to install that. Then we add a cross and then you add a hook. Then you add some kicks and then you're you're chunking information for your brain. And as you chunk information for your brain, the cool part is once you've installed it that way, the subconscious mind when it when you want to be formless starts to put them together in its own way so that you could be outside of the process and it's a super cool feeling that you can find freedom in and and as you train it you first do feeding hand where i'm feeding you okay then we do counter for counter you go boom my counter you come back so we're working the reactivity of the counters and then from counter counter and feeding then you get into sparring and then you can do style versus style. It's like, okay, you're going to be a grappler. I'm going to be a puncher. I'm going to be a puncher and a kicker. You be a trapper. Uh, you get a knife. I get empty hands. So there's so many uh, iterations of that that you could do to install timing, angle, and distance and experiment. That's really important. I think that's the other part is experimentation is super important. Training with people outside of your school is super important. With different styles is super important. Like, I know you said you love boxing. I love boxing, too. I remember, shit, the first time I got beat up by a boxer, he, like, he was, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I knew what was up. And this guy walked me down, and I'm like, oh, I'm not just pitter-pattering him. And then, boom, that body shot from hell. I still remember it. Now I can feel my ribs just crunching right now. This happened over a decade ago. <laughs> right, right. And, and then you're like, you're like, holy shit, what happened? And then the next time, you're just panicking. And you're getting, you're, you're getting tired. And that's what people don't understand. It's like, man, street fight, of course, is a street fight. But if you can't even deal with your stuff in a boxing match with gloves on. And, and it's a controlled like, environment. Yeah. 
in a controlled environment, it's, it's, it's difficult. So, you know, I'm sure you guys get it all the time too, that, you know, there's the street versus the sport aspect, right? And then there's a traditional aspect. And so there's this big divide in martial arts between which one's better, whose style is better. And I'm like, man, we got to get past that conversation. That conversation is long and gone, right? It's long and gone. There's many cool things that we can extract from the tradition, but we got to extract and apply it today. But the sport is wonderful because the sport gives me a live opponent, gives me the ability for timing, angle, and distance, who gives me ability to wrestle and roll and get smashed mm-hmm. and make myself comfortable. Then that applies onto the street. Of course, I'm going for your eyes, your balls, and snap your, your, snap your knee. That's what I want to do. But when you hit me, I know how to roll with the punches. When you take me down, I'm not going to panic. Wow. And so I'm, it, it's an installation method. So I think we live in the greatest era of martial arts right now because all the information is at our fingertips but at the same time it's also now very muddied it's a double-edged sword and i look i want to go you're absolutely correct i think you need to have a healthy combination between some boxing some wrestling some street some traditional and blend it together i think all too often people are one or the other at the you know through their own fault no i just i'm a combatives guy i don't box and the boxer, he's just a boxer, and he doesn't understand that you could finger jab someone or punch him in the throat or kick him in the knee. So having that is very important. Uh, and you said all that information. Here's the problem with all that information. We don't know what the fuck to do with it. Because now everybody is uh, you know, a martial art god because their Sifu is on YouTube. You know? <laughs> yeah, as my Sifu says, the so-called Sifus. So, you know, the, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, I think, you know, with the good and the bad of everything that's out right. there. But I think the cool part is that you've got, as long as you've got people searching for the truth and uh, they've been punched in the face and been choked out, then they know, <laughs> they know right. what they're kind of looking for. Um, and, and, and it's a wonderful process. Then there's also, if you think about it, there's a lot of people that don't want to be in a fight and they don't even care if it works or not. And the martial arts still serves them. It helps their confidence. And they think they can fight. And that helps them in 99% of their situations in life. So there's a plus and minus to all. <laughs> we can spend our whole lives training for something that might never happen. Sure. I mean, unfortunately, you didn't have the level of skill when that issue happened in 2001. And you may well now train for the rest of your life and it may never happen again. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. I had a beer bottle. If I would have smashed it on the ground, now I'd have an edge weapon and I'm probably sitting in jail. True. Right. Very true. Yeah. Good point. I'm in jail right now. I'm sitting in jail. That's, that's, <laughs> we're having this conversation behind bars. Right, and right. so it was, it was meant to be that way. Right. And so the most important thing is nobody now, there's not never going to be a chance that 25 people are going to show up and I don't see them. I mean, Very true. <laughs> the, the, the situational awareness was zero. Like I zero. am aware of everything. And so, you know, when you know how to fight and what you can do, you don't want to do it. I'm like, okay. if somebody says, you suck, I'm like, thank you for your compliment, sir. I, uh, I do suck. Uh, absolutely. Uh, your shit doesn't work. Thank you again for your feedback. I, I appreciate it. You're the best. I'm like, You're the best. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, I, I mean, there's just not enough time, especially as, as I'm sure you guys are aware with the YouTube and the keyboard comments on anything and everything you do do. So. No doubt. I caught a really interesting article you wrote in Black Belt magazine recently. And one element I just want to drill down onto is the strategy stages that you were talking about. So kind of like building upon what we were just talking, sparring tactics, etc. Could you walk us through that? And- 
So there's two kinds of a fight, right? There's a, a random act of violence just breaks out and you just go act and you react, right? And so you, then your muscle memory, your motor skills, everything has to come in. There's no time to think and you just got to go, right? And then the other is a duel, right? The other is a duel. So that could be like in a ring or it could be somebody comes into your school and they're like, hey, I don't think your shit works. And <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Or sometimes when I work with the military, especially when I was first starting off, people didn't think that it would, you know, the, what's their, what's their, their common entries are that wouldn't work. And that's the guy sitting back there, or it's a, can I feel your energy? Right. That's their, their ways to come in and kind of try to see what's up. And so, which, which I, I know you guys experience, right? Like, I don't think anyone's ever asked to feel my energy. <laughs> Maybe on your birthday. I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> so in a, in a in a duel, uh, when so if we're looking at okay, you've got your hands up, I got my hands up. There's no way out. We're going to fight, right? Or you're in a cage. Similar strategies apply. Obviously, the targets will change, but it's a duel. It's stick fight. It's a duel. Knife fight. It's a duel. You got somebody on the other side that knows what's up. So what do we have to do there? We have to start to discover what's happening. So first and foremost, before we even get into strategy, there cannot be thinking involved. That's the, the other part that, for example, if you're thinking, you're in the past. Absolutely. You've already lost. Right? If you're in the moment, you're ready to kind of flow. If you're in the future, you can intercept. So you're intercepting a future motion and a future move. And so we want to fight from that perspective. And to fight from that perspective, we can't come from an idea of, are we going to win or are we going to lose? Is this going to work on this guy or is that going to work on this guy? Should I do this? Should I do that? What if? All those conversations can't be there. It has to be instinctual. So what's the first thing you do? You got to have to kind of sense the opponent, see what they're going to do. What's their, their stance? So you have to quickly size them up. How tall are they? What's their stance? How are they standing? What's their power side forward? What's their style? And this is taken in a snap of a finger of how they stand. Uh, you know, does he have his hands up? Is his hands kind of down? Has he got a wide base? Does he sloop, you know, put his shoulder back down like he wants to hit you with a big right street fighting bomb or a club punch, right? And um, so this is the stage you refer to as preliminary analysis in, in the article. Absolutely. So that's preliminary analysis. You have to quickly gain that information. And in a street situation also, you, you got to see where it's never a one-on-one. You, you always go out with your homies. So there's a bunch of people that are always going to be there too. So you're, you're quickly gauging that information. Then the next thing is, especially if it's one-on-one, you got to have a probe. A probe is a, is, is, or a pot shot. It's a mansao, a garbage hand, something that you throw to see a reaction or a movement that you make to see a reaction. So if I throw a shot that's not, you know, if you're in a boxing, you're throwing a jab at you, a feeler jab, you're trying to feel what is it they're going to do. Are they a lead hand blocker or their rear hand blocker? Do they move away or, do, or as you step to them, do they step forward? Or as you move to them, do they try to counter you right away? That kind of gives you their subconscious patterning. And then the next moment, you can go to uh, intercept them if they move towards you. You can faint one line, go to another line. Other times, you have to notice that even before you get off or can probe, that guy comes forward. So you have to be ready for that person coming forward. And that's where you're always ready. That good old G-Tech, stop that knee, or the Bill G is always ready for that instinctual movement of him coming forward because he may get off first. You have to have that kind of uh, thing installed and ingrained. What are we looking for is a moment of pain. 
that first moment of pain that I take, I steal your art in that moment of pain. In that moment of pain, you are lost your base, you have lost your balance, you don't know where you are in that moment of time, and as I steal that moment of time, now I have to put on a forward pressure or continue by hitting the eyes, hitting the groin, or getting in close enough where I could drop you with a big shot. And so that's, that's the next phase is the pressure phase, normally going from a high, low, high, always changing your elevation because, you know, eyes and groin street is the most important thing. If those don't present to yourself, you got to have a good body shot. You got to have a good solid cross. You got a good solid hook, open or closed fist. You got to know that you can put them down with power and that you put on the forward pressure, you put on the forward pressure. You know, there's an old saying they said, Bruce Lee used to say, put them in the wounded crane posture going kind of going backwards, flailing and stuff like that. And so you steal their art because if you steal their base and balance and you steal a moment of time with pain, they can't execute their art. I don't want to find out how good you are. I don't want to know how good you are. I don't want to know. I don't want to know at all, man. And and then from there, the final stage is the follow-up and finish stage of the fight. And it's like, okay, if they're done, you can, you know, that's when a lock would come in. Right, you got a drunk uncle, you're not going to beat him up, right? You're going to lock him or you're a police officer, you're going to lock him up, right? If they're still fighting, you got to pass again. You didn't put him down, they're still fighting, you got to pass again. And if it's life and death situation and military operation, you got to crash in, get in, headbutt knees, elbows, the heavy tools, bite, gouge, do whatever is necessary to terminate the threat. But I think the important thing is to have the perception across all those stages, because if you don't have the perception of reading your opponent, reading your opponent is the most important thing. Feeling your opponent is the most important thing. What's their emotional content like? Is this guy angry? Is he mad? Is he thinking? Is he happy? Is he smiling? What's he doing? Like, who is this person? You're developing a relationship in an instant of time of trying to solve things on a physical level and an energetic level and also on a spirit level. And by spirit, I mean thoughts of the mind and the feelings of the heart. What is, where's, where, who is this person I'm fighting? And as you discover that, you have to, uh, as my teacher says that I've learned in the Taiji training, you have to surrender to the experience. You cannot expect an outcome. I surrender to the experience. I'm a guest in this experience. Like I'm in a guest in your house. I surrender to the experience and have no center to protect. If I'm worried about you hitting me, I have to let go of all that stuff. I have to let it all go so I could be there wholly and totally in the moment, 110% myself and let it happen by itself. And, but that goes down to your training. If you don't have confidence, don't know what to do and you haven't installed it properly, sure. that'll never happen. Now you're thinking. And then if you're thinking, then it just comes down to, it's a gambling match if you're gonna win or not. So winning doesn't really exist. Losing doesn't exist. Um, defeat doesn't exist. It's, that hasn't happened yet. So that's the most important thing. I think you gotta take yourself out of the equation so it can happen, your training can happen. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, you see athletes do that all the time. The greatest level athletes, they don't care about missing the shot. They want the final shot. They don't know how they're going to do the final shot. They don't know what the defense is going to be on them, but they just go for it. And they're wholly and totally in that moment. They own that moment and express themselves in that moment because there's no concern for the next moment because it doesn't exist. It's a cool place to be, you know, and I think martial arts gives us that opportunity to experience that. Yeah, and Bruce would say the sort of the learning to die because that you know Michael Jordan taking that shot, that winning game shot. If he misses it, it doesn't dwell on him. He goes and makes that shot in the next game. 
Yeah, because what happens most of the time is we attach ourselves to the story of the result and attach ourselves to the stories of the past, and those define who we think we are. Who we are and who we think we are is two completely different things, but most people, who they are is a, is a mixture of everything that they've learned and acquired. That's just a box that you've put yourself in. Who you truly are is just, you're just noticing awareness. If you can just get to a state of noticing awareness and just be holy and totally. I mean, we're human beings, not human thinkings and human doings. We're human <laughs> beings, right? So I think that's, that's the coolest part about this, that every moment I get a chance to, when I train, I want to go to that center point of time and space where I'm free. So whether it's meditation or it's movement or it's sparring or it's drilling, I learned to find that spot, that still point. And the still point is the in the middle of space, in the middle of time. And that's how I connect to my kids and my wife. I had to learn. I learned this through martial arts because, you know, I was a guy in my head all the time. Everything was like in my mind. That's why my book coming out is called Mind Boxing is because there's a war going on in my mind 24-7, 365. I can't turn this thing off. Right. And, and I can't then be there. I can't be there for the fight. Can't be. I can't be there for my kids. My wife's sitting across the table from me and I'm off miles away in my head thinking of some shit. How, what yeah. did you come upon that when, when you were real? Because that's a, a big part of what I do um, for myself, my own personal. But when did you realize that your 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 brain was working against you? Well, you know, when I lost my hair at 13 years old, I right. I, I went inside. Yeah. I was always like, because I wore a wig in high school, right? Really? So, oh man, I wore a wig in high school, dude. Like. It, it was no, crazy, it, right? And so then I'm like thinking, man, I wonder if this person notices. I wonder if that person notices. That's so Is the terrible. tape coming off my sideburn? Oh, this, this guy's looking at me? What are you looking at? I'm going to kick your ass. You know, that kind of thing. And so it made me go inside. But once again, even that was such a great blessing because it taught me these things to put me in a situation to find the teachers necessary, to find the teachings necessary so we can help other people. I mean, in today's world, everybody's in here or they're like this on their thumbs. Right. And this relationship just is not there anymore. And what better way to forge a relationship to get to know somebody than punch them in the face? <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Right. And they pay for it too. That's the best thing about it. <laughs> in the article, and I know, I know you've got the new book coming out as well. You talk a lot about knowing who you really are. How does someone go about identifying that and having that honest conversation? Because you were, when you're wearing a wig, you're living for other people, right? For sure. And now the world has sort of accepted you as being this top martial artist. You've kind of, you know, gone the other direction. How do other people bring that into their lives? And to those people who just think martial arts just about fighting, what would you say to them? Oh, great question. And uh, this is the center point of everything that I'm about, even my work with the corporations and my speaking, everything comes down to the following two quotes. Uh, know yourself and know your enemy and you're sure to succeed. Don't know yourself, don't know the enemy, you're doomed to fail. Know yourself and don't know the enemy, 50-50, Sun Tzu, Art of War. And Miyamoto Musashi says, all knowledge is ultimately self-knowledge. So if we have to first start by knowing who we are. Yeah, I love that quote. Yeah. That was in there. I'd never heard that before, but I love that. It's brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah, and you know, and so uh, I, I really thought about it a lot. And you know, one of the crazy things is that in the Taiji training, 
the fighting training, which is really rare, actually. It's all about the psychology of who you are. Because if I don't know who I am, I have nothing to anchor to when chaos comes. So all this kind of talk I'm talking about actually came to me through the Negong training that I did. And it's not anything I made up. It's a system that's kind of been around for a long time. So first and foremost, you have to have that honest conversation of what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How do you deal with opportunities? How do you deal with threats? It's the SWAT analysis, SWAT. right? Yeah, you still gotta start. You got to start with SWAT. And um, you haven't be you heard that before? From me. Yeah, that's one of Jim's big things. That and the 80-20 rule. It is brilliant. It's a great business thing that absolutely is applicable to martial arts. It's and, brilliant. And it, it has to be because like, right? Because it's, 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 if I'm a general, I got to know the battlefield. I got to know my soldiers. I'm the soldier. <laughs> so yes. I got to know what are my strengths? What am I good at? Feed those. What are my weaknesses? Plug those. But then here's where we got to go. You know, you know, there's that saying, Absorb what's useful, reject what's useless, research your own experiences, and then add that which is specifically your own, right? There's that great quote. Uh, But the part about that is research your own experiences. So you got to go back and study your victories, and you got to study your defeats. So when you were winning, what were you saying to yourself? Who was around you? What was the environment? What was your state of mind? When you were losing, who was around you? What was the chatter in your mind? Were you saying, I'm not good enough. I can't believe this is happening, right? So there's a certain dialogue, a certain chat that's going on in your mind. What was the opportunity like? Who were the people supporting you? What was your environment like? What was your headspace like? What was your physical body like? You know, a lot of people don't, you know, they talk about mind stuff and and they don't look at the body. I'm like, yo, man, if you don't feel physically strong, that's the temple. You could be strong as you want your mind. It's not going to make any difference. It's a, it's a spirit, mind, body thing that has to work together. It's not one or the other, right? right. And so you could have the most enlightened person with their mind. And there's a building burning and you can't run in there and save somebody. How enlightened are you? Not much, right? So that coordination has to be there. The next thing you have to do as you go deeper in looking at the man or the woman in the mirror is you got to be able to look at your stories, the stories of your past. Because you're not your stories, but the stories of the past, the lessons we've learned from the past often end up defining us. And then those come into the present and then impact our future. So what you learn from your parents, what you learn from your teachers, you learn good things and you also learn bad things. You learn survival things. You learn many different things to cope in this realm. And so when you learn those things, which of those things are you taking into the future and which of those things are limiting you? Because oftentimes we are the product of our parents and our grandparents because our grandparents affected our parents, affected us, our teachers, our friends, our environment, our experiences, people, places and things change who we are. And then we think we are those things. And the problem is that's not who we truly are, because all we really are is attention and awareness. It's obs- we're an observer. So we have to come from the observer and disconnect from the stories of the past. And if we can do that, we can clearly see and perceive what's happening instead of see what we think is happening because there's a layer of fog in front of us. Or there's a filter in front of us from our stories. And we, most people think they can't change and they think that's who they are. And then they're trapped in that, in that realm. I mean, we see it in martial arts all the time. 
that, oh, my style is this because that's the lens that you're looking at. And, and you're like, I will win because this is what my teacher told me and this is so on and so forth. And I mean, we even see that in Jikudo nowadays where if it's not done like what Bruce Lee said to do, then it's not you're not doing the right thing. And, and, and or the other side of it, it's like, oh, but my teacher told me to do everything. And so now you're masked that way. So the, the stories, whose stories are you yeah. believing? The whole point is it's not the stories, it's not the styles, it's not the systems, it's not the lineages, it's not your teachers. It's you, man. It's you. You're the power. You're the problem. And you're the problem. Exactly. You're the power and you're the problem. So, right. so when, that, when that conversation always comes up, which style works better? It's like, dude, it's all about the time, the place, and it's the person. I can find a wrestler that'll beat a Jeet Kune Do man because he's just sure. a better person. I can find a Jeet Kune Do man that'll beat a wrestler or a boxer. You see all that. So it's not the style. It's the implementers, the person implementing it. And that person finding that honest expression of implementation without being limited by stories, by results, by the future. And that person that's not afraid to uh, lay it on the line and express themselves. That, I think, is the next piece because if you don't know who you are, how can you honestly express yourself? It's just a bunch of bullshit. It's just perpetuating another lie. How are um, the public responding to your book? So people who've never done martial arts and you're taking this message out to like corporate America and things like that, how are they responding to this message? Really well. I mean, really, really well. It's been uh, quite phenomenal. Uh, I have a I, I work with a lot of top companies here in the Silicon Valley, uh, Apple being one of them. I've worked with Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney. Um, you know, I speak at different conferences. And when you think about it, most people, um, stress is everywhere. The stress of, to deal with the stress of a punch coming to your face versus other perceived stresses and fears is everywhere. So people have fears and people have stress and they don't have a method to perform. And most importantly, performance, if you look at it, is how do you perform in an uncomfortable situation? So the skill is make yourself comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. How does one do that? That is what we learn in martial arts. And it's, it, there's a process to learn that. And that's what I kind of teach people because I teach them to get into the high performance zone or find that still point in the chaos. Not when things are good. When things are good, great, of course. But it's when things get chaotic, things are due, things aren't working, people are losing their minds, their emotions aren't right. How do we balance those things? How do we put a process in place for them to start their day, to deal with stress during the day, and then most importantly, not bring it home to their families and then perpetuate the cycle into the next day? So performance comes down to, of course, knowing who you are, but you can't even know who you are until you first get to the still point, until you turn this off. This has to first be taught to turn off. And only when you taught to teach it to turn off do you meet the, the, the observer, the person who's aware. And then that's who you really are. That leads you to the answers. We all know what to do. And oftentimes, if you look at when you look at training, whether it's in corporate or it's in martial arts or it's in the military, wherever it is, what it comes down to is we can train four things. We can train our craft. We can train our bodies. We can train our mind. And uh, we can train our spirit. So if you look at the craft, everybody just spends their time. If it's a sales organization, they're spending their time just on the sales strategies or the marketing strategies. So they're always constantly spending their time on their craft or the engineering strategies. But 
the person, the individual taking part in the event is more important than the event. And so the other three things of the mind, the body, the emotions, what's happening there? What are you doing to make that the best version of yourself so that I, you bring the best version of yourself to the game? I don't know the best sales strategies or marketing strategies. I don't need to. But I know how to make you better so that when you can bring your best version of yourself to that meeting, to that presentation, to the big game, where you're not afraid to lose because fear is the biggest thing that debilitates everybody. And it's not a real fear. A real fear is a tiger chasing us. That's a real fear, right? But what's the biggest fear that plagues everybody? The biggest fear that plagues everybody is being judged, not being good enough. And most importantly, what will other people think? Oh my God, what will this person (laughs) think of me? Really? Right. I'm like, that's you're going to waste your heartbeat on that? I mean, our most right. precious commodity we have is heartbeats because there's only a certain number of heartbeats in our lifetime. On all of our to-do lists is we're going to die. The number one thing on all of our to-do lists is we're dying. No and doubt. so every heartbeat is one heartbeat closer to dying. And now you're telling me I'm going to waste the heartbeat on what you think about me? Right. But that's how everybody lives their life, right? Public speaking is the biggest problem that everybody's afraid of. They're afraid of public speaking. Why? because of being judged. Right. And, and so I think that's the thing that people got to get over. And if they don't know who they really are, and they're not grounded in themselves, in a purpose, in a mission, in an aim, then, then they're always going to be lost. And they're always going to be trying to go to impress people, gather things, and all that kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, once we know who we are, and we know that only in observation can you live a life of uh, what the Lama says is jolka. Joy, openness, loving, kind, awareness. Joy, open, loving, kind, awareness. That's a state. It can only happen in a still point. And if we come from that state, we have to first put our oxygen mask on and serve ourselves. And then serve our families, our teams, our students. And then serve the world. That's the whole point. What am I doing here as a human being in my footprint to help other people? If I, if I haven't figured out the way to get to that, then that's my whole point here. And I think everybody's point, but they can't get past themselves or the survival methods and the mechanisms they have, uh, their survival-based acquired personalities to get beyond that. And, and that's really why I think we're here is to find that because we each have a wonderful, unique gift. And... Um, Mine might be teaching martial arts. Uh, somebody else's might be art. Somebody else's might be uh, teaching children. Somebody else might be music. But it's all there to bring joy and love and kindness to people and, and help them be better. And uh, in that, you feel great. So I, th- I, think, I think that's really what, what drives me and what I help other people to see. And if people want to train with you, that you, you do a retreat each year down in Texas, right? I do. I do. Yeah, we have a big retreat. It's called Enter the Tao, and which means enter the Tao, the way, right? Enter the way of martial arts where it's a lot of philosophy, but a lot of good training. We train like 10 hours a day and then we hang out on a ranch. There's no cell phone coverage. So, you know, we get to disconnect and there's a wonderful Colorado River. There's an old um, saloon, like a Western saloon that's in there. Everybody stays uh, on the ranch. It's the, at the Pratka Ranch. So the guys at Texas Chikundo is run by... Yeah, Clay and Beverly. Yeah, that cool guys. Yeah, Clay Pratka, Beverly Pratka, and Gunnar Davis. They're, they're some of my top students, especially Clay. He's the senior most person that I have. He's the only person I've ever promoted to like a rank of Sifu over, and he's been with me for 13 years. 
and that just happened last year. And um, I, he's a wonderful person, again, on a, on a great mission to help other people. And we, we just want to get people together to have a good time to learn, to train, to get to know each other. And I think more of those opportunities that people take to build a, a cooperative environment instead wow. of a competitive one is, is, is really important, right? So, it, you know, in the Jikudo community itself, as I'm sure you guys are aware, it's, it's very factioned it's very distracted it's very yeah sadly so and we need each other though man you know and so for all the people listening my question to you is that if we we need to stop the fighting and the bickering and whose system is better and we got stuff we can learn from everybody can teach us something we're all branches of the same tree we don't come together now and i'm dead serious about this like i i was listening to some of your calls with I see for Tim Tackett and see for Chris Kent and, you yeah. know, guys that have been around from the first generation. And mm. how many of them have we lost? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so we're at a very critical point in this art. We're a brand new art on the global blimp. Karate, Taekwondo, Kung Fu, they'll be there. They've proven the test of time. They're going to be here a hundred years right. and a thousand years from now. They'll still be here. Are we going to be? That's a good and, question. And, and for us to do that, we got to stop tearing each other apart and be like, anytime somebody put, that's not going to work. That's not how Bruce Lee did it. <laughs> you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong. And I'm like, hey, man, come on, brother. Let's actually get together and play around a little bit because we have a lot more in common than you think. We all love Bruce Lee. We love Jeet Kado. We love its concepts. We love what it does for us. And we're all in the business of courage, confidence, and clarity. That's what we're really in the business of, especially if you're a teacher. That's really what you're giving people is that ability to have courage and believe in themselves, have confidence to express themselves, and have clarity so they can shut the shit off in their mind and be right here right now so they can love and be open. And of course, that's where you're going to fight. If you're not fighting from a clear state, you're getting your ass kicked. And so it's, 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 I think it's such an important thing. and It's such an important time that we stop pulling each other down and picking each other apart and come together. And you may not agree with what I say, but that's cool. It's all good. If I'm in Black Belt Magazine and somebody reads an article on Jeet Kune Do and you're down the street from them, they're going to go to your school. Right. It helps everybody. It helps everybody. And I, I think that's really important. And I think you guys are doing a wonderful job with the show. I've really oh, enjoyed, enjoyed listening to you guys because it's really cool to see people, A, well-prepared when they interview. But it's important. And then the other thing, too, is that, that there's a platform and there's a – it's like yeah. you guys said. It's like let's have a beer and let's hang out. Like, I'd love to hang out with you guys, you know, and, and, but we wouldn't meet each other if we wouldn't have this platform. But the, the, the question that I say to everybody is, why don't we do this? Why don't we all do this? Question. For real. I, I had not, I had talked to Sifu Tim Tackett in regards to this, and I voiced my opinion on that. I feel, as you said, it's a very critical point in JKD. After these first-generation guys are gone, is JKD dead? And that's a real question. And there's a lot of guys doing a lot of good stuff, and there's a lot of guys doing a lot of bullshit. And uh, it's about getting together and working together for the, 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 the greater good. And if that doesn't happen, I think it will be dead. Absolutely, you know. And, you know, when people say that it died with Bruce Lee, it didn't. All right. I, I mean, it, it really didn't. We're all here. It, talking it about it. Right? We're here talking about it and doing it. And so I think, I think that's another important thing, too, at the same time, that I have a book coming out, actually, with Black Belt Magazine. It's called Enter the Tao, the Jeet Kune Do Combat Philosophy. 
in it, the first chapter is called In the Shadows of the Dragon. And we've been, we've been living in its shadows, and many people are trying to copy the shadow. It's almost like if Bruce Lee came and he taught us how to make fire, what did people end up doing? People started to say, let's worship Bruce Lee. Let's worship the fire. <laughs> right. or let's worship his writings. But nobody's making the fire. I think that's right. my question to everybody. Let's all make the fire that he's trying to teach us to do instead of worshiping him. That doesn't do any good. Respect him. Honor him, of course, because we wouldn't be here without him. Right. Now, here's the question. You know, if you could ask Bruce Lee <laughs> one question, is that even fucking possible? Oh, first my of all? goodness. That's not, <laughs> right? It's a ridiculous question, but I'm going to fucking ask anyway. If you could ask Bruce Lee one question, what would it be? <laughs> that would, that's exactly what my response was. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be tough, you know, and, and you know how be. it is. I, I don't think there could be just one question. I just think having the opportunity... Uh, I think the the question would be, can I have limitless questions? <laughs> oh, you know, I was going to say the same one, yeah, if the genie in the lamp comes to you. Yeah. Genie, like, yeah. You have three wishes. Uh, I First wish, I wish for unlimited wishes. Um, right. I think that's, that's right. like, I think the most important thing maybe off the top of my head is it's being in his presence. And you know when you're in the presence of somebody that's got it, that has it down, there's a download that happens just being around people that are like Your that. Energy. Their energy, and, and I don't think there could ever be one specific question rather than open conversation to see how the man thinks, to see how the man interacts. I think seeing those things, uh, how he solves problems, how he answers questions, how he moves, those things by osmosis you could absorb a lot faster than just one question and, and you know, kind of leading more towards you know, that saying that you can give a fish to a man every single day but I want to learn how to fish. You know, that's kind of what, what I would somehow figure out a way to do in that, in that time, you know. So moving forward, what's next on, uh, what's the future? What, what are we doing next with our lives? What's the, what's the journey? What's the mission? So I have a few projects that I've launched. One is with Black Belt Magazine currently. It's called Jeet Kune Do for Black Belts. And um, the whole concept there was to start to introduce what we do to the traditional martial art world. You've got your black belt, and now let's take a look at some of these advanced concepts. And the first thing that I put out was uh, advanced attack strategies, which, you know, going through the, the different tools that we use, the five ways of attack, making things more alive and giving them, um, you know, the different ranges and giving them an idea and a concept of attacking strategy as a you know more advanced level. If you look at most of Bruce Lee's original students, they were already black belts. So he was working with people that were already black belts and they already and so kind of like, okay, this is your next program that you're headed towards. And I'm starting with the Century and Black Belt magazine, something called Black Belt University, uh, where it kind of takes the what's missing in the martial art world, and for me as a legacy that I'd like to leave behind, is in the United States, we don't have a body. Um, a cert, like a, not a certification, not the right word, but we don't have like, if you're an engineer and you have an engineering degree, you, you, you got a stamp. You think, yeah, oh, I got an engineering degree. I could yeah. go do this job. I have an English degree. I could go do this job. In China, you have the ability to get your bachelor's, master's, and even your PhD as a martial artist. So the, the long-term goal, uh, five years and plus, is to have a university that's called Black Belt University that's going to be sanctioned 
with uh, uh, other universities. So for example, you're gonna get to go online and do your general education credits, but at the same time, learn martial arts. And I don't call it Jeet Kune Do because it's martial arts. I don't want people to, again, be bound by, I gotta learn another style or system. This is fighting, it's martial arts. So if you're a martial artist, you need to be able to understand traditional values. You need to be understand what's going on in sport. And you need to also understand the various ranges of combat. We have to be able to punch and kick and we have to be able to um, uh, trap and grapple, stand up and on the ground. We have to be able to use weapons. We have to be able to honestly express ourselves. We have to be able to know what to do in a combative street fight situation, the strategies and tactics. We have to understand how to deal, deal with duels and multiple opponents. We have to understand traditional methods of training and we have to understand how to build a school and we have to understand how to build students and give them an overarching perspective. And then at the same time, the individuals as a professional martial artist have also got to be trained in philosophy and they've got to be trained in uh, kinesiology and biomechanics and they got to be trained in accounting and they got to be trained in finance, <laughs> right? I mean, right. you got to run a school, you got, you got to understand the marketing. And so that's the long-term goal. But in the short term, in the next five years or so with BBU, what we're looking to do is create a program where martial artists who are already black belts can enter the program and start to learn the various different aspects and ranges and what we do in Jeet Kune Do, but become an overall well-rounded martial artist. And so if you're a Taekwondo person, you already got your kicks down. All right, let's teach you some sure. takedowns. You know, let's learn about grappling. Let's learn about intercepting and some higher level strategies. If you're a boxer, you feel what I'm saying? You just fill in the gaps for them so that they have a totality of combat and see the whole picture instead of just a myopic view or a view coming from, you know, their art. If you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu person, you're a master of jiu-jitsu and grappling. You're not necessarily a martial arts master because you don't know the other ranges. So the, the concept being of how do we make somebody well-rounded uh, make curriculums exciting and fun for people, those who are running schools. And that's what I'm looking to do there. And Mindboxing will finally be released next year, which is my book, How to Win the War Within, and then Enter the Dow as well with Black Belt Magazine. So we've got a lot of things going on. I'm very blessed to do what I love to do. And thank you guys so much for having me and to the listeners for listening. It's a wonderful show. And I, I highly suggest everybody goes back and listens to your guys' other podcasts. They're actually very entertaining and they're quite, quite phenomenal. I feel like I've gotten to know the two of you by listening oh, to you. On Chief, the it's been great having you on the show, really. Uh, yeah. Look, it's great. You're a great martial arts, great guy. For and, uh, and hopefully we can get together sometime in the future. Come down to Texas and train. I used to go down there all the time. It's a big Please. fucking state. Yeah. <laughs> so, Please, you guys have an open invite. You know, heck, anytime. Come on down. Come stay w with us, and uh, we'll drink a few beers. We'll train and have a good time. And if look, if you need to get a hold of you, the best way to get a hold of you is your website. I'm assuming sifusing.com. Is there other ways to yeah, find? Yeah. You can go to sifusing.com uh, for corporate people. You can go to mindboxing.com. And then I have the jkdathletics.com, which is like my the instructors and various different people teaching at different schools. Thank you. Just Google you. You're all over the goddamn place. <laughs> <laughs> Sifu, yeah. thank you so much. It's been an honor, my friend. And thank when you. your book's about to come out, we'll have you back on again, okay? It would be a great honor and pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Be good. Peace. You 
have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.